Our scripture this morning comes from Luke chapter 14, verses 12 through 24. And as I often do, I want to remind you that this is God's word for us this morning. Anything that is said after this by me is simply uh, meant to be additive to the real meal, which is Jesus' own words to his people. So hear from the Lord Jesus. Jesus said to the one who had invited him, When you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or your rich neighbors in case they may invite you in return and you would be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind. And you'll be blessed because they cannot repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. One of the dinner guests on hearing this said to him, Blessed is anyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. And then Jesus said to him, Someone gave a great dinner and invited many. At the time for the dinner, he sent his slave to say to those who had been invited, Come, for everything is ready now. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I bought a piece of land and I must go out and see it. Please accept my regrets. And another said, I bought five yoke of oxen, and I'm going, to try, I'm going to try them out, so please accept my regrets. And another said, I've just been married, therefore I cannot come. So the slave returned and reported this to his master. And then the owner of the house became angry and said to the slave, Go out at once into the streets and the lanes of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, the lame. And the slave said, Sir, what you ordered has been done, and there is still room. Then the master said to the slave, Go out into the roads and into the lanes, and compel people to come in, so that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those who were invited will taste my dinner. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Please be seated, and let me pray as I begin this morning. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. When we read about Jesus Christ of Nazareth, We see that Jesus taught in synagogues, Jesus taught on hillsides, Jesus taught in town squares, and on the road from one place to another, but I think some of his very best, most passionate, and evocative teachings come seated around a table. The table, especially in Middle Eastern cultures, is the most intimate and authentic space. It's a place of warmth and hospitality. Um, We can recognize that we have drifted far from this in our Western culture of of restaurants and DoorDash and -and grab-and-go meals. But the kind of table fellowship that Jesus understood as fundamental hospitality in his culture is still alive and well in many places in the world today and certainly in the Middle East. Um, One of the most memorable meals that I've ever had, maybe the most memorable meal I've ever had, was in the Middle East, in the city of Jericho. 
which is located in the West Bank in Palestine. We had stopped at a roadside restaurant, and our Jewish tour guide had to leave because Jewish tour guides are not permitted in Palestine. And so they handed us over to a Palestinian tour guide who led us into this restaurant. And the rest of, and, and he said, your group can go upstairs. There's a table ready for you. But as I was going, he held me back. And he said in his very limited English, no, 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 please, you eat downstairs with me. This is my brother's restaurant. So I sat with him. And, uh, and I sat with him and, and our Jewish driver. Drivers are allowed into Palestine. So the three of us sat there, and the cook sent out dish after dish of pickled vegetables and roasted meats and hummus and pita and smoked fish and, and this spicy cauliflower that I've had nothing like it in my life. It's amazing. And he made sure that I ate everything first, watched me eat everything. So here we are, an Israeli Jew who spoke Hebrew, a Muslim Arab who spoke Arabic, and a white Christian who spoke English all together at a table. The differences between those three people on the surface are innumerable, as we've witnessed in the news uh, recently, right? That these differences can often be fundamentally opposed and, and even violent. And even though the conversation was stilted because of language barrier on all three of our parts, none of us spoke the other person's language, there was somehow warmth and unity and laughter. I don't know how laughter happened, but it happened. And beautiful hospitality. And it felt timeless somehow, like an ancient practice that we have lost in our Western world here today. This was the kind of table, ship, table fellowship that Jesus was accustomed to. It was baked into the social order of his day. Uh, Middle Eastern table fellowship was and still is based on several principles. I want to go through them with you first. Uh, the Middle Eastern table is, is open to anyone. It's open to anyone. In Judaism, uh, and more recently in, in Islam, the hospitality relationship at a table is not seen just between the host and the guest. It's actually triangular. It's the host, the guest, and God. So when a host feeds their guest, they are actually not just feeding the human sitting next to them, they're also feeding God who's seated with them. So in this sense, the host is obligated to feed other people regardless of their status because God is there with them. Second thing is that the guest is also obligated to accept the invitation to the meal. It's an obligation. Rejecting an invitation to a table fellowship meal might imply an unwillingness to acknowledge the host as an equal or to value that person as a human being. It is a great offense to reject an offer of a hosted meal, and I know it's that way in many places of the world. Third, the, the table setting in, in the Middle East is a very intimate setting. It's the mere fact of, of sitting at a table and sharing food together. It's a sign of friendship and peace and depth of, of conversation and sharing life together. It's a way of saying, as long as we're at this, at this table, we are family together. We're family. And then fourth, it's meant to be a celebration. It's not a stiff obligation. It's not an invitation that's... Uh, that, that, is, that is cumbersome. It is an invitation that is designed to be received with eagerness and joy. And the meal itself is meant to be a joyous celebration, an occasion where God is recognized as present. So you take these hospitality rules together, and it makes sense, doesn't it, that Jesus would do some of his best teaching, his most evocative teaching, 
most, his most heart-to-heart teaching around a table. Makes sense, doesn't it? It also makes sense, as we read this text, that Jesus proves himself to be less than an ideal dinner guest, at least in the way that we think about it. We might, and probably are, accustomed to dinner parties where people are well-behaved, with excellent etiquette, well-dressed, polite conversation, We don't talk about religion and politics, right? We don't go into these taboo things. But Middle Eastern tables tend to be a bit more animated and unencumbered, especially in the safe and intimate space of table fellowship. And we see that in this passage. Jesus is in the home of a Pharisee, a Jewish Pharisee, and the hospitality is not to Jesus' liking. He's seeing things that he does not like. People are fighting over the seat of honor. Who gets to sit next to the host? They're engaging in in games of of playing favorites. And Jesus says to the host, hey, this is not the way things should be. When you're hosting, you don't just invite your friends and and people who can advance you socially or professionally. You should be inviting people who can never repay you for your kindness. These words of Jesus take on new meaning when we understand that table fellowship and hospitality is supposed to be done as if God himself were sitting there at the table being served. So by our standards of what a dinner party looks like, Jesus is probably kind of a downer of a dinner guest at this point, isn't he? Telling the host how things aren't going very well. But he's certainly not wrong. And perhaps picking up on the tension of what Jesus is doing in challenging the host, the text tells us in verse 15 that one of the dinner guests tries to get things back on track by saying, blessed is anyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. Um, This is a platitude, okay? This is not a deep statement. This is a platitude. If I was going to give this a loose paraphrase, it would be something like, hey, 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 let's chill out. We're all going to the heavenly banquet together, right? Come on, let's eat, drink, and be merry. Let's keep it light. And you get the distinct impression that this particular dinner guest that speaks up assumes that he's got a seat reserved at the heavenly banquet table, right? And this is when Jesus continues his streak of being a blunt and honest dinner guest with the parable of the great banquet. Jesus tells the story of an invitation to a great feast. But when the time for the feast has come, he sends out his servant to go and summon people. But those who were invited had all sorts of excuses for not being able to make the banquet. So instead... He sends his servant out into the streets again with an open invite to anybody, anybody, so that his house might be filled. And he ends with these words, I tell you, none of those who were originally invited are going to taste my dinner. As I worked through this text, I really struggled to decide which direction I wanted to go with this parable, because there are so many. There are a lot, lot of different ways to approach this text. And and preachers might stand up today and do it in a number of different ways, and and they wouldn't be wrong to do so. But here's where I want to land today. Jesus is clearly the host in this parable that he tells, the story that he tells, which means that the kingdom of God is like table fellowship that we are invited to. That's what the kingdom of God is like. We've gone over the rules of table fellowship. They are clear. And I find it fascinating how Jesus uses this parable to echo table fellowship rules. Four things that we observe about the kingdom of God and Jesus' kingdom invitation from this parable. Let me walk through them. First, 
the kingdom invitation that Jesus gives is open to everyone. Just as the table doesn't discriminate based on race or creed or status, so too, Jesus' kingdom invitation is open to everyone. In this parable, there were people who were initially invited, and they were the ones who you would probably expect to show up to a banquet with Jesus. As Jesus was sharing the parable, he was referring to the Pharisees and other Jews that were sitting around him because you would expect that they would accept a kingdom invitation, right? Because of their knowledge of scripture, their commitment to to expecting a, a, a holy expectation for the Messiah to come, for their understanding of the character of God. One would expect that these are exactly the kind of people who would go, I accept this invitation. Can the banquet start now? I'm ready to go. But they don't do that. More on that in a moment. But then as the parable goes on, it's perhaps those who we wouldn't expect to be on the guest list, who are invited warmly, the poor, the lame, those who have nothing to offer socially, the social nobodies. And even as they come and sit around this table, there is room for more. It's clear that just as Jesus taught the Pharisees not to limit the kind of guests who could be at their tables, so too, the invitation in the heavenly table is an open one. The parable ends, did you notice this? The parable ends with the host still having room at his home to welcome more people and a great desire to welcome more. Second thing, Jesus' kingdom invitation needs to be accepted and it is possible to reject his invitation, which is really, really offensive. Just as it's offensive to reject an offer for table fellowship in the Middle East today, the guest has a huge responsibility to accept this offer so as not to offend Jesus, the host. In the parable, there are three people who make excuses for rejecting this invitation. The one has land that he wants to go and survey. Uh, One of them has new animals, new oxen that he wants to go check on. One has recently gotten married. Um, these might seem fairly normal to us, and in fact, for some of you who, who don't really like social gatherings like this, maybe you're taking notes on how to get out of your next social gathering, um, but these are actually highly hyperbolic in, in the biblical text. They are meant to be absurd. These are abs- absurd excuses for not showing up to a banquet that you've already received an invitation for. The land is not going anywhere, right? You can check it out tomorrow. The animals are going to be there tomorrow, and he would have had farmhands anyways. And really, how long does it take to check out some animals? Recently married? Well, it's all the more reason to gather and to, and to celebrate. These excuses are ridiculous in a biblical sense. And, and the text tells us that the host is angry. The host is angry. He is offended. Friends, it's not easy to hear, but it's true. We come up with all kinds of excuses to not go and sit with Jesus. I'm not exempt from this. And our excuses are no less absurd than these ones. I'm too busy. I just need a little space to breathe. I need a little me time today. I'm tired. I've got work that I need to be about. I wouldn't wouldn't know what to say. I'm kind of socially awkward. I'm not good at talking to Jesus. I'm not good at prayer. It makes me anxious. You see, when we hear Jesus' invitation to come and be with him and we don't accept it, I do think he's offended. Not in a disgusted, contemptuous sort of way, 
but in a sad, personally affronted sort of way. I know I'm not speaking to a Jewish audience today, but I think there's a corollary between the Pharisees back then and many of us who call ourselves Christians today, if that's you. Especially those of us like me who've grown up in the church, who know Bible verses, who can speak to to the meaningful, faithful life that we've had. I think that we can often think that this is the same thing as table fellowship, as being with Jesus. But our status as Christians, as church people, does not magically transport us to the table with Jesus. Our status as Christians does not magically transport us to the table. We need to accept Jesus' invitation to stop what we're doing, to stop with the excuses, and to go and be with him. Sit with him. To not do so is a spiritual faux pas. Third, Jesus' kingdom invitation is an invitation to relational warmth with the great host. Remember that table fellowship is a place of warmth and family, right? If you're at the table, you are family. When I talk about Jesus' kingdom invitation to you, perhaps your mind goes to, well, what, what, what exactly is Jesus' invitation to me? Maybe it's an invitation to a new job. Or, or perhaps you're, you're thinking about a, um, maybe Jesus' invitation is to some sort of new personal practice or a new mindset, a, a new relationship, a a certain kind of decision that you have ahead of you. And it's true that Jesus invites us to all sorts of things, but that's not what I'm talking about this morning. As I read this parable, I I don't think this invitation is super individualized. I think it's the same for you and for me and for everybody. The invitation is to come and sit with Jesus, to come and be with Jesus, to experience the warmth that comes from his presence. Friends, and I love that there are some kids here today. I want you to hear this at your age, there is nothing more important than experiencing relational warmth with Jesus. Just as it is absurd in the parable for people to accept the invitation and then make excuses for backing out of the actual feast, so too I fear that we can get into a similarly damaging mindset where we say, hey, I've accepted Jesus as my Lord and Savior, but I don't really spend time with him. I'm so grateful for Jesus and all that he's done for me. I could tell you all about it. But I'm not, I'm not really with him. I really like and respect Jesus, love what he stands for, but I'm rarely ever with him. The goal of the Christian life is not to believe the right things, to hold the right faith status, or to say the right things about a man who lived 2,000 years ago. The ultimate goal is not even to gain entry into heaven. The goal of the Christian life is to experience table fellowship and hospitality of Jesus. And through that intimacy, that warmth, that transformational time with Jesus at the table, to be changed so that your life looks more and more like his. That's what Jesus invites us to. Fourth, Jesus' kingdom invitation should be accompanied with urgency and joy. This table fellowship is intended to be an exciting celebration. The invitation is one not of of, of obligation, of duty, of drudgery. It is not meant to be difficult or cumbersome. 
It is meant to be received with joy and urgency and anticipation. This is exciting. When you consider the opportunities that you have to spend time with Jesus each day, do you receive those opportunities with joy and urgency? If not, I think you're missing the design of the invitation that Jesus has for you. So when we put this parable and the surrounding narrative together, the overall message comes into clearer focus. And it's really my prayer for myself and and for all of you as well. Don't miss the invitation for table fellowship with Jesus each day and let that table fellowship transform you. Let it transform your heart and life in such a way that you begin to create bigger, broader tables for others because of your love for Jesus. It's important to note that this invitation is not a one-time invitation. I'm not talking about accepting Jesus as your Lord and Savior, as important as that is, vitally important, uh, part of our faith to, to make that commitment to Jesus. But I'm talking about table fellowship all the time with Jesus. Just as we do not eat only one meal a week and call it good, so too this is an ongoing invitation to fellowship. It should be regular and rhythmic and frequent. This is not a one-time invitation for this huge banquet. It's a banquet all day, every day. I don't want you to be overwhelmed with that idea. I know it is not feasible for us to spend all day quietly communing with Jesus. We have work. We have friends and family, we have obligations, we have places to go and things to do. But as a former pastor of mine used to say, envision Jesus in every room that you walk into. When you walk into the kitchen in the morning, imagine him seated at the table waiting for you. And then when you move from the kitchen into your car or onto the train, imagine him sitting next to you. And when you enter your workplace or your classroom, Imagine Jesus there to greet you. Don't deny his invitation for fellowship. He's with you everywhere you go. He is ready to commune with you and offer you joy and offer you life. In Eugene Peterson's book on the parables entitled Tell It Slant, he makes an observation that really stuck with me this week. He says that it is really dangerous for us to have relationships that don't have content. Friendships with no content fizzle. Marriages with no content crumble. And relationships with Jesus with no content do not fulfill us, and they give us a warped view of God and the world. The content of faith is not what we know about Jesus. It's not our knowledge. It's not our intentions. The content of faith is our relationship with Jesus. If we don't sit with him, hear from him, speak with him, receive from him, then our faith doesn't have that content. And if the parable of the great banquet screams any truth at us, it's that the true content of the kingdom of God comes from being in proximity to Jesus by accepting his invitation and joyfully coming to his table to be fed by him. I was uh, pondering an illustration to kind of bring this home today, and I couldn't help but think of my dear daughter, Lydia. I do want you to know I have her permission to talk about her today. Um, Many of you were not here then, but uh, Katie and I have been celebrating. It was 10 years ago this last week that we returned home from three weeks in China where we adopted our 21-month-old daughter, Lydia. That's her at the airport coming home, meeting her brothers. 
Um, you, as a church, whether you were here or not, you as a church, welcomed her and us graciously and warmly and with the utmost hospitality, and I don't know how we could ever adequately say thank you for that. Uh, some of you who were here 10 years ago, in those early months and years of, of Lydia being home, might remember something unique about this dear little girl. Um, Lydia has always had a thing for serving food to people. Have any of you experienced this? Okay, yes. Um, a couple months after arriving here in Hinsdale, Katie and I met in the garden court after a service. Where's Lydia? I thought she was with you. I thought she was with you. And uh, we looked over on one of the couches, and she was sitting on a man's lap. It was Keith Baird, um, who she hadn't really interacted with up until then. Uh, but there she sat on his lap, and she had grabbed a cup of goldfish from the counter and was feeding them to Keith, first in his hands and then directly into his mouth, um, one after another, rapid pace. Uh, and he just kept accepting them, and it just kind of kept going. Um, of course, we were a little bit concerned as parents, we trusted Keith, but her indiscriminate serving of people that she didn't really know was kind of unsettling. That could have been a total stranger that she's stuffing goldfish into his mouth. Um, so we resolved. We said, we know we got to keep a better eye on her, especially at church. we got to rein this in. Uh, it never really worked. Um, when she was two, she would regularly pour coffee for strangers who had not asked for it and go around the garden court giving it out to them. Um, I met numerous visitors over the years uh, who, who came to church for the first time and said, oh, yeah, I, I just met your daughter. She brought me coffee with a ton of sugar in it, and I didn't even ask for it. And it wasn't just here at church. Um, in our home, when Lydia was just two years old, we woke up to noises in the kitchen, and we hurried downstairs to find our Lydia sitting on the counter cracking eggs perfectly into a bowl, not a trace of eggshells in the bowl at all. She was doing this at 6 in the morning because she wanted to make eggs for everybody. Um, I think by the time she was four... We could not keep her from turning the stove on early in the morning to make herself and the whole family eggs when nobody was looking. And here's the thing. Um, I would eat the eggs and say, Lydia, those were delicious. Thank you so much. And I would see this glint in her eyes, and she would go directly to the fridge to go get more food to give to me. The amount of times I saw this visual, I, I couldn't even tell you. After being home for a year, one of our church members, Lei Wang, um, helped us with some translation of Lydia's documents from her orphanage in China. And one of those documents was this long um, list of services that were provided for her in her orphanage by her nannies and some other workers who came in. And, and there were comments uh, on there about her nature and her personality, and it said over and over again from the time that she was little that she loved to share food with other children. Even today, I will lose track of Lydia for a few minutes, and all of a sudden she's making ramen, or she's making cookies, or dumplings, or eggs, and she always wants to share them with whoever's around. So Lydia, by her sweet nature, has taught me table fellowship, because the invitation just keeps coming. The other day in the car, I felt a tap on my shoulder. It was Lydia in the back seat, and she was slipping me a chocolate-covered pretzel. I don't even know where she got it from. Maybe it was in the car for months. I'm not sure. I ate it anyways. Um, it is a constant invitation. It's a miracle that I'm not fatter than I am in the last 10 years with all the food that's been offered to me. It's a continual offering, and it would be rude for me to say no. 
I think of Keith, that visual of him taking goldfish after goldfish, which I'm sure he didn't ask for. Why? Because he kept taking it because of the sweetness of the one who was serving him. He wanted to see the delight on her face, and he wanted to delight in her as well. I think Lydia is wired to do this because she likes to see people full and happy. It's a delight to her. And it's hard for me to not delight in this hospitality and this relational warmth as well. And of course, the content is not the invitation. The content is not the food itself. It's the relationship with my daughter, the host, and the joy that I consistently find in it. The gospel value from this parable is this. Gospel people respond to Jesus' invitation for regular, constant fellowship, treating it as the true content of their faith and the source of their life. They want to be with Jesus, and they want to learn to be like Jesus. So I want you to hear that invitation for you this morning. To close, I just want to give you some of the words of Jesus as Eugene Peterson records them in his paraphrase called The Message. Hear these words. Are you tired? Are you worn out? Come to me. Get away with me and you will recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I'm not going to lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you will learn to live lightly and freely. Would you pray with me? Lord, would you teach us what it means to be at table with you? Would you give us a deep desire for table fellowship with you? Would you help us to see you in every room that we walk in, in every space that we inhabit? And Lord, may our time with you and the invitation that you give to us to just be with you, to sit at your table, transform us more and more into your likeness. We pray that we might continue to grow into your good news gospel people. Not on our own strength, but because of our proximity to you. We pray these things in your name. Amen. We will celebrate the realities of this story of the great banquet by coming to communion this morning. But before we do that, let's prepare our hearts for communion as we give of our tithes and our offerings. If you're a visitor with us this morning, never any obligation to give. Uh, If you call this church home, I invite you to give freely as the Lord has given to you.